The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. We got ourselves quite a little show for you all this week. Great topics, great guests. We're going to get right into it. Our co-host joining us this week, musician, investor, frontman for Gideon King and City Blog. Gideon King joining us. Hello, Gideon. Howdy, howdy, howdy. God, I am always blown away by your background of choice every time you join us on the show. You always have the coolest equipment. Like, paint the picture for us, okay? What do you have behind you? Where are you now? Because you always have these cool studio spaces that you are. Is this like your home studio? So, yeah, this is my studio up in the woods, and I'm in the control room now. And then you see the glass back there. Those are the ISO rooms, isolation rooms. And then behind there, there's a live room for playing. So... You know, it's um, it's a little bit of a man cave. Um, it's where I escape to and and live and sleep and eat and you know think about think profound thoughts. Ryan, are you one of those creators that when you're in the full element of making an album, you'll sleep in your studio for nights at a time? Yeah, I mean, I actually it sounds pretentious, but I actually fall asleep with my guitar in my hand, clutching my guitar. It's um. It's mildly pathetic, but it but it's also sort of fun and, and, and lovely. It can be both. They're not mutually exclusive. It's path- it is pathetic and fun and lovely. Yes, I agree. Mildly pathetic and fun and lovely. Yeah, I mean, it is. Yeah, yeah. The Gideon King experience. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Oh, uh, that's that's great. And I I, I, I need I, I'm envious. I want the studio in the woods. That looks super rad. All right. Um I am excited for the guests that we have joining us in the second segment, Giggity. We're going to be joined by DistroKid's Director of Creator Services, Mike Fink. This is exciting to me for a couple of reasons, chief among which is in the 400-plus episodes that we've done Break the Business. We have had several representatives from a lot of the big music distributors joining us. We've had uh, VPs from CD Baby. We had the CEO of TuneCore a few months back. But we have yet to have a single rep from DistroKid, and that ends tonight with Mike Fink joining us. And I'm excited for this, Gideon, because I'm a big fan of the DistroKid service, as are many of my clients. I would say if I were to poll my music clients, a plurality of them use DistroKid as their distribution service of choice. Great features. uh, They do a really excellent job. Uh, getting your music on there and adding some nice little bells and whistles to your music distribution. I mean, I'll give you one kind of personal example of my feeling on DistroKid. People are going to think I'm doing an ad for them, but I just, I think that highly of their service. I had a high profile client who was making their first record come to me a couple months ago and say that, oh, I'm going to, I'm making my first record. I have this premium distribution service. I don't even remember the name of it, but it's supposed to be like like kind of white glove distribution service that's (laughs) going to put my music on Spotify and Apple Music, blah, blah, blah. What do you think? And I said, well, is that premium fancy blah, blah, blah service going to, you know, cut you a check or give you an advance or anything like that? And they said, no. I was like, then use DistroKid. They're going to put your music on Spotify just as good as any of the others. You'll get a lot of great features and they'll give you that kind of white glove treatment. Great customer service. Cannot speak highly enough of DistroKid. You know what? I asked my manager today, what's your experience with DistroKid been? And he said, actually, he said, my artists really like it, and I like it a lot. And he said, and they're not always happy with their distribution you know, entities. He said, but they're, they love it. They, they dig it. Well, thank God that was your manager's experience. It would have been a really bad episode if your manager I know, that's was true. like, DistroKid sucks. I was like, DistroKid stinks. Yeah, no, 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 no. I wouldn't and say And now here's any- Mike Fink. I, exactly. I wouldn't say anything. If that's what he said, but he actually said great things about DistroKid. Yeah, this is, um, and and in addition to having great features, they're always kind of very quick to create partnerships with other kind of organizations that help out artists and create some cool bundling of features. 
recently, they uh, announced a global deal with TikTok to make it easier for you to upload your music to TikTok mm-hmm. and CapCut. They right. have a recent partnership with Mixea to allow you to have access to affordable and easy master- right. mastering and mixing services. A uh, yeah. lot to like about DistroKid. We're going to talk to Mike Fink all about it and get some advice from him as well. But before we get to that, Gideon, um, I want to talk about something that I know you just love and think only the best things about when it comes to uh, your own career in the arts. And uh, you're you're just really happy about this thing existing. Artificial (laughs) intelligence. I love it. Uh, In fact, Lauren, if you could, and I hate to put Lauren on the spot like this, I you know, because I didn't tell her to do this. But since we're talking about AI, even though it's not a tip of the week, can you give us the AI overlord tip of the week just to put us in the mood? We have no AI overlord tip. I just missed that song. But we do have some uh, interesting AI insights. I would say on my Twitter timeline, Gideon, more so than even in the last couple weeks, I've seen a particularly significant amount of discussion about will AI replace art? Are artists on borrowed time because AI is going to be the new artist and humans are going to get removed from the artistic equation? And two examples have come to mind for me recently That make me think maybe yes, and also definitely no. And they come in the form of visual art and music. And and to kind of smash cut to the chase here, I would say AI seems to be a lot further along in terms of making visual art than they are in making music. So you as a musician, Gideon, can feel good about that. But let me give you Exhibit A, because there's been a lot of people doing this now, where now that ChatGPT is fully integrated with Dolly... You can ask ChatGPT to make pictures for you. And, you know, sometimes they're not very good, but every once in a while it makes some pretty cool pictures. And I've seen some fun stuff on Twitter. But just for kicks, Giddy, and I asked ChatGPT to make a picture of you, me, and producer Lauren. And I didn't give it very much information, right? I just said one of the hosts is in their 30s, another host is in their 50s, uh, both are male, and there's a producer, uh, female, and and I you know, didn't give it any information, and it gave us this picture. So, <laughs> um, you know. Okay the, re- I don't... okay, the reason I'm happy about that picture okay. is because it, it makes me look better looking than I am. It's largely eliminated my big nose and my double chin. So as far as I'm concerned, this show has been a huge win, and I want a third of the profits if this art sells for a Now, just to be, just to make sure, Gideon, which of the two men do you think you are in this picture? Well, okay, so let me, let me, let me, I, I, you, I wear sunglasses sometimes. You do so wear I sunglasses, think, so, so I think I'm you're like, trying to lay claim to that really handsome I, Jimmy Garoppolo yeah, looking yeah, no, dude in I'm the not, center. I'm not trying to lay claim, I am laying claim to it. So and so you're going to make me deal. like the older looking, graying, yeah. Alan yes. Thick looking dude on the left? Yeah, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> That's what my instinct said, too. Thank you, Lord. You. <laughs> You're no help, Producer Lord. Well, because Producer Lord loves this picture. She looks beautiful in this picture. Right, right. You know, perfect straight black hair. Um, so, okay, fine. You can have the handsome guy in the middle, Gideon, because he's got sunglasses, and so that's good enough for you. Thank you. Um, and then I just, and then, you know, I, I decided to just completely destroy the experiment because in the second picture, I just asked ChatGPT to do the same picture, but to make us all adorable cartoon bears. And it gave us this picture. <laughs> okay. I, this now, one I just don't have a comment on. I, I mean, I don't know why the bear in the middle is shirtless. <laughs> is that one still you? <laughs> I mean, this one is just like a drug trip, so I'm not sure how to respond to it. <laughs> Not that I would know what a drug trip is like, yeah. but if I so were to so know what a drug heard. trip was like, this is what it seems like to me. All right. Well, oh, shoot. I, there we go. I took out Gideon for a second. Um, all right. So even though those pictures don't look like us, they they are well done pictures. Like you would probably pay a graphic artist and a not insubstantial amount of money to make those pictures for you. Right. Right. So in visual art, I think chat GPT and AI They've come a long way, and I think a lot of artists might be a little worried in that sector. Now, in music, uh, a recent example has shown us, Gideon, that AI has a long way to go before I think it can replace 
musicians. Recently, uh, a new AI artist has emerged named Anna Indiana. Now, to give you some background, Anna Indiana is a completely AI-generated singer-songwriter. Everything from her look to her singing voice, even to the songs that she writes, all completely AI-generated, zero human input. And so a, uh, Anna Indiana released her first single recently called Betrayed by This Town. Now, even without the lyrics, that's a, I mean, pretty good with song titles. I kind of want to hear the song Betrayed by This Town. But uh, once you get past the title, the song itself leaves something to be desired. But I'll go ahead and uh, let a Anna Indiana perform for you, Gideon. And I'd like to get your genuine thoughts. Hello, world. My name is Anna Indiana, and I'm so excited to share my music with you. Here's my first song, Betrayed by This Town. As an AI singer-songwriter, everything from the key, tempo, chord progression, melody notes, rhythm, lyrics, and my image and singing is auto-generated using AI. I hope you like it. at my favorite cafe sipping my tea it's saturday thinking about all he's done to everyone this town is full of broken dreams shattered hopes and silent screams somebody please help me end of the chorus betrayed by this town Let's tear it all down We're all just destined to fall I've lost it all Betrayed by this town Let's tear it all down We're all just destined to fall We've lost it all Alright, let's get the hook. What do you think, Gideon King? Are you worried that Anna Indiana is going to be taking your spot at the bitter end <laughs> any day now? I mean, you don't need me on this show to tell you how horrific that song is, the production and, and everything. It's, it's definitely, <clears throat> for, a, for AI to work sui generously, they're not there yet. But in super subtle ways... First of all, that was really disturbing. I'm not sure I'm going to recover from that psychologically, <laughs> but but like meaning like meaning like you've just visited like like real psychological pain on me, and I hope that wasn't your intention. But like I'm not going to get I'm not, I can't unsee Anna Indiana, so that that's that's a problem for me. But I'll deal with that. Um, I mean, look, I have I have been in a room with AI software where this gigantic library of hooks and real instruments and tempos and beats um, can be applied by a quote-unquote curator, meaning you, me, or anybody with a background in music or who doesn't have a background in music. And it produces some incredible hooks, some incredible music. So while I know we're just having fun here, what I will say to you is that I actually think... And maybe this is my fears speaking as a musician, but I actually think from what I've seen, AI is incredibly close to some high production value um, music. Almost with one analogy, Ryan, 20 years ago, people said you can never simulate piano, real piano sounds. And you can never simulate real string sounds. And then came along in the last 10 years, software programs where you're triggering actual real piano notes being played by someone who did play it and you had someone sitting at a piano key striking it with different levels of strength and so and so now you can recreate piano so that you know anybody from herbie hancock chick Corea, and elton john couldn't tell the difference if it's a real piano or not and in in many ways ai is able to accomplish that now so um I am actually really, really scared that AI is one going to turn many people who are not musicians into creators of content and musicians. 
uh, and further dilute the possibility for 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 artists to to create and be successful creating. And I'm I'm also worried that it's just literally going to create hits. We're not quite there yet, but I'm telling you, man, we are getting close. Which, when I called my manager crying about this, what he said to me, Ryan, was, "Yes, I agree," and that's why performing live is going to be so important because AI can't perform live notwithstanding some multimedia new stuff that actually is happening, like ABBA's thing in London. So it's a huge mess, and I'm terrified of it all. So It almost sounds like you think that Anna Indiana is sort of just, they put that out there to let our collective guard down. You know, they put yeah. that out, and we all go, oh, this is never going to happen. This is a thousand years away. This yeah. thing stinks. I and then behind you. the scenes, they're yeah. working on something that sounds just yeah. like Elton John or something. Yeah, yeah, I promise you that that was a BB gun, but what's coming is a 44 Magnum. Um, that's what's coming is the, is the 44 Magnum musically. That's what I really tru- truly believe from the bottom of my heart. But, I, by the way, Anna, but by the way, Anna Indiana is terrible without it. <laughs> well, I do She's think the bad. war She's metaphor is actually <clears throat> apt about this kind of being something of a gun because I do think the robots are out to get us. If for no other reason <laughs> that that Anna Indiana song was in B major and I think any AI that puts a pop song in B major is something that secretly wants to destroy us. You might be right. Maybe we should have her arrested. Well, um, I, I want to quickly read some of the tweets about this Anna Indiana singer Gideon that I think were funny. Uh, somebody wrote, uh, I used to think AI was a threat. Not anymore. Damn, this song is trash. Skynet, the musical sucks. Uh, <laughs> artists might be screwed, but musicians definitely get to keep their jobs. And uh, somebody who wrote something on Twitter that I thought was kind of profound about the role that AI should be playing in the world. Somebody wrote, quote, no one on Earth wants this technology. Use AI to make drudgery easier, not to ruin the activities Man. we enjoy. Whoever said that, I want to I'm going to send them a thank you note because, God, I, I really agree with them. Yeah. Uh, so I. I, 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 that stupid song stuck in my head now. And <laughs> it's like the worst thing to have stuck in your head. Cause I mean, like there's weight, like, you know, the chorus, I mean, the song, uh, you know, we're all destined to fall has like way too many syllables in the amount of time that she's trying to sing. I don't know what's going on with that, but. Oh yeah. And the, and the music isn't swung. It's right on the grid in terms oh, yeah. of the beat. Bling, so, bling, so it's, bling. it's, 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 it's bang on bad without a oh. doubt. Uh, Daniel Neruda writes in, I do feel like the focus of AI art is fast over good. That's kind of the focus of AI. I mean, and, you know, we, we feel like we're losing a little bit of our soul with this. But I don't think uh, Gideon King is losing his job to Anna Indiana tomorrow, at least. We I would work. By the way, I would work for her if she offered me a job. <laughs> you might, we might need one to be a For to the be right amount of money, I would work for Anna Indiana. Well, uh, wanted to, before we brought it, bring in a. Uh, Mike Fink and, and go to break and all that stuff. I wanted to talk to you about an article that we both read in the Wall Street Journal about the changing nature of social media. So we just talked about how AI is kind of changing. And yep. now I want to talk about the changing nature of social media and what it means. Uh, the title of this article is How Social Media is Turning into Old-Fashioned Broadcast Media. And the premise of it is when social media started, with it, whether it's Twitter or even what TikTok was when it first started, there was a blurring of the lines between creator and user. We were all creators and we were all users. And you know, people who were on those platforms, they were expected to contribute just as much as to enjoy the content of others. And yeah, there were a few kind of big superstars on those platforms, but for the most part, it was something that we were all active participants in. It wasn't like, say, broadcast television, where we sit at our TVs and just passively absorb the uh, content that comes to us and don't actually contribute any content. But as the Wall Street Journal article noted that we read, that's changing. And as TikTok kind of evolves and as X slash Twitter evolves, what we're starting to see is an ossification of those roles where there are creators on TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, and there are users who generally don't contribute as much. Uh, from the article, quote, social media is turning into old fashioned network television. A handful of accounts create most of the content that we see. Everyone else, they play the role of the audience, which is mostly there to amplify and applaud. 
The personal tidbits that people used to share on social media have been relegated to the private group chats and their equivalent. That last sentence, Gideon, that hit home for me because I would say in the last six months or so, I have become far more active on my group chats than I have posting on my Twitter account. I, I used to consider myself a creator on Twitter and even on TikTok. And, uh, because of the way the platform has changed, because it sort of caters more toward a few small number of creators, I don't feel a particular incentive to create anymore. And I know I'm going to get more engagement texting my funny thing to the 12 people on my group chat than I will sending it out to the millions of people on Twitter that I know will never see it. You know, that article said so much and kind of awakened me to something I've sort of emphasized something that I've been sort of um, seeing and and sort of recognizing more and more, which is we're just we're like in the Wild West now in terms of content. And I actually think as social media goes more towards long form content defined as 1200 words or more of its text or 10 minutes more 10 minutes or more of its if it's you know video i actually think what we're witnessing is like a sub rosa chase of the dollar and what i mean by that is it's hard to have an advertisement to go buy a kia car if the content is only 12 seconds long because where are you going to stick the advertisement yeah. But if you can have a 10 minute long video or if Apple's going to air a new show on X, that opens up the door for grabbing ad dollars from traditional broadcast TV. And so sometimes I think social media is in control of the world and is the new world order. And then sometimes I think social media is this desperate monster groping towards trying to figure out a way to get to profitability because it's clear that long form content for whatever reason does somehow engage people a little more than, than short form sometimes. And so like, I think what's underlying all of this is ad dollars and you've got traditional broadcast, man, you've got, you've got, you know, long form on X. Um, so, a lot of people I speak to seem to have super concrete opinions as to who's going to win and who's and Netflix is done and, and X is done. And I don't think anybody knows. I think this is the Wild West and that content is going to become more democratized in the way that in the way that 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 musical content became, in a sense, fragmented and democratized by Spotify and Deezer and you and and you name it. So I just think like this article was actually a really good article and made made me have a lot more questions and sort of like had a ponderous kind of feeling as opposed to drawing any any conclusions but the phenomenon that you're talking about dude totally like more and more a fewer number of people grab all the eyeballs and uh, we're sort of off in the corner uh, on the side you know communicating with each other on whatsapp so man all of the above it's a, it was a wild article and i have super schizophrenic feelings about it and i have no idea what's going to happen but i know that it's the wild west yeah. And if the goal with a, if I'm running a social media platform, as you noted, Gideon, the goal yeah. is to get, keep you there long enough totally. so that you watch an ad and that's how they make money. And yeah, yeah. the calculation that these social media platforms have made, and I include YouTube and TikTok in there, is yeah, yeah. they have an easier time getting you to look at their platform longer if every single piece of content that you see is from a established, talented, highly creative person, as opposed to just a tweet from your friend saying, ate a sandwich today. That right. doesn't keep you at the platform as much as really good creators do. And to me, that brings me back to something we talked about with Taylor Lorenz last week when we interviewed her, Gideon, that yeah. her book talked about, which is this idea that um, the what made all these social media platforms valuable, what turned Twitter into a billion-dollar company, what turned YouTube into a billion-dollar company, Instagram into a billion-dollar company, it wasn't the technology. And in fact, in a lot of cases, the technology was super buggy. Mm-hmm. What made these platforms billion-dollar properties 
were the creative professionals. When the create when the really good creators flocked to those platforms and made really good content, that's what got people to those platforms, and that's what made those platforms highly valuable. And that includes your TikTok and your YouTube and something like that. So it yeah, doesn't surprise yeah. me that those same platforms are now trying to significantly emphasize those creators and make the platform as a whole less everybody is a creator. Totally. Now, let me ask you this as, a, as an investor, Gideon, because um, this is something I've always thought about for a long time, and I talked about it briefly with Taylor, and I didn't really get the answer I was looking for because I think I need to talk to an investor about this. If we start with the premise that TikTok and Twitter and all these platforms have creators to thank for their platforms becoming multi-billion dollar platforms, is there a way we could engineer one of these platforms to actually allow these creators to participate in the equity in the same way that, say, employees of a startup would be able to get stock options, right? You, you start up a company, maybe you set aside a quarter of the stock for your employees as an option pool. Uh, for you know the, to, what? You so know, why couldn't I, we do the same thing with the creators on these platforms, where if you bring in enough people to the platform, you can get actual equity in this company and allow you to benefit from the billions you're helping create? This is such a tough problem because... If you have a creator, just like on Spotify, you want to get your music out there, and you couldn't do that the way you can do it. You couldn't do it in the 70s the way you can do it now. You just throw your tune up on Spotify, and you never know. You might hit the algorithm, and things go might go great. And so the creators are not going to demand that much money for what they give to the social media to for for stuffing for the social media platforms allowing them to put their content in the pipes it would be beautiful or like the old book said wouldn't it be pretty to think so that there would be this like amazingly engineered kind of thing where create there would be some form of almost um organized mechanism for creators to get paid but not to be a bummer but I don't think it's going to go that way. Look, people will get paid for their content the way that Netflix goes and buys a bunch of content. And TikTok and X will overpay for a lot of content the way that Netflix has just to have, quote unquote, the biggest library because they know that content is king. But for the most part, creators are going to be so lustily in pursuit of getting their shit out there that they're going to sell it cheap. And that is like the that is like the the sort of um, brutal temptation of the creative market that is a sad economic phenomenon, but offset by the psychic income and offset by the idea that man, you now can get your stuff out there in a more democrat in a more democratized way. There are more pipes to put your stuff in. So you know, I think it's a give and take. I don't think it's anything to jump out a window about. Um, but I don't foresee a, a kind of engineered solution to that because there will always, it's like unions. There will always be people who walk across the line and say, I don't care. I'm not joining the union. I want to get paid now and I need a job now. And, and the same, and the same thing, sort of analogously speaking, people will, will walk across that union line and, and breach the concept of the union. You, you see what I'm saying? Anyway. Oh, I, I don't think it's something that if, you know, for example, a founder of the next YouTube or the next TikTok, I don't think it's something that one of those founders would no. voluntarily do no. unless yeah, they were like super creator friendly. Like hey, if I was a billionaire and I, you know, I love creators like I'll, my next startup, I'll just set aside 20 percent of the equity as like an option pool for creators. But I understand right. that most founders don't think that way. Right. And so it's not going to be something that they do out of the goodness of their heart. I don't know if it has to be like done as a policy mechanism like it's something that the law has to enforce but i mean right now we have a world where the people who are contributing most of the value of these billion dollar platforms are not seeing that actual equity and the and it's all going to the people who create the tech but the people who create the tech uh wouldn't have what they have without those creative people but, that know, made those platforms billion dollar platforms true true and true but as a kind of counterpoint to that ryan Plenty of influencers who are getting, you know, I just talked to a woman the other day who has 9 million followers on TikTok, okay, and she's getting a lot of uh, a lot of money, sponsorship money. Um, and so she is making money for the content that from the content she's creating. Slightly different issue than what you're addressing in fairness. But um, all, my only point to you is people are getting paid 
for being the ones who create the content and attract the eyeballs. Maybe not as equitably as you would envision, I would envision, we might like. But man, you know, economics are not perf- perfect. I mean, it's a it's a jungle out there. <laughs> you said it. Okay, let's take a quick break. We're going to be talking with Mike Fink of cool. DistroKid after that. I'm excited for this. This is going to be a great chat. Don't go anywhere. Keep checking out Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Everybody now betrayed by this town. Oh my God. Let's tear it all down. Not good. We're all destined to fall. I've lost it all. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Ryan Corelli here with Gideon King. Oh, so excited that to have you join so us. That was so much better than the AI version somehow. Oh, Setting like a very had, low bar no. she did. No. But I was Both like, were but, very bad. And but you what should, Gideon was as, talking as about As the producer, <laughs> you should do an intervention, Lauren. You need to do an intervention. No, you were the one who said like it was right on the beat and there was no swing to it. And I was listening okay. and I was like, how come this swing? And I was like, right. oh my God. All right, yeah, back it definitely wasn't on the beat. Nobody would ever accuse Ryan Carella of ever being on the beat with anything. Uh, Ryan Carella here with Gideon King. Thank you for checking us out on Sirius XM 145, all major podcast platforms and streaming platforms. Uh, excited for this interview, Gideon. This is going to be a blast. Our guest this week is the director of creator services for the music distribution platform DistroKid. Recently, DistroKid announced a global deal with TikTok to make it easier for indie artists to upload their music to TikTok Music and CapCut. You can find out more about our guest's work by visiting distrokid.com. We are very happy to welcome Mike Fink on to Break the Business. Hi, Mike. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, guys. So good to be seeing you here. Uh, We got lots of DistroKid questions for you, Mike. But before we indulge in that very rich area of conversation i gotta know what are your thoughts on anna indiana the first ai completely ai generated singer three words too much botox The lips move, but that's that was it. This is all. I mean, all yeah, good. only her head. Like it was weird because she's a, she's a, a full body. Like you saw, like her shoulders and her chest and everything, but like only her head moved. At least she blinked, though. Like so. What, the, so what Mike's so what Mike's saying is basically she's the next Madonna. That's basically what Mike's saying. <laughs> you better be that. careful with that. Producer Lauren's Sorry a big Madonna fan. She'll I love come Madonna. After I, love, you. I love Madonna. Ah, oh, well, so. I mean, you, you might wait, Mike. The people who made Anna Indiana might be posting her music through DistroKid for all we know. The Ryan Indiana duet that we just kind of got a teaser of. Now there's something. <laughs> now that, that we can all get behind. All right. 
I, as we said before, Mike, we have yet never had a distro kid rep on the show before a, a miscarriage of justice on our part. We've we've had all the other distribution services. I've, I'm a huge fan of distro kid. I'm glad we're remedying this this week. Let me ask. Let me open by asking you the question we often ask uh, folks from these kind of organizations. And so apologies if you've gotten about a thousand different versions of this question in your life, because I'm sure you have. But there is no shortage for indie creators of options to get your music on Spotify or on Apple Music or on the, you know TikTok or any of those platforms. What makes DistroKid different in your view? In my point of view, I, I think it is the tech side of things uh, combined with the customer service side of things. And we make it so easy to use. We compare it, we talked about TikTok or Gideon was talking about TikTok a moment ago. It's like as easy as posting something on TikTok. It's as easy as posting something on social media. You can actually post your song and have it distributed throughout the world. That's just on the tech side. Then in terms of what we offer artists, you know, 100% royalties, you know, we don't, all the earnings go back to them. That's uh, for a low subscription fee, something that I think is top class. And then we tried to level the playing field. And by that, it's like what we offer artists in terms of our hyper follow. Uh, we can do video distribution through DistroVid. I know you mentioned Mixia at the top, like being able to offer mixing or mastering music, um, all kinds of promo cards, visualizers, just a little bit of everything to make sure that you can be on the same playing field as, say, Gideon's favorite, uh, Madonna. <laughs> I I do appreciate that. I think one of the one of the low one of low key my favorite things about the platform is. You guys seem to invest a lot in trying to give artists those little extra features uh, with their music distribution that, as you note, levels the playing field. Even something as simple as allowing artists to have the karaoke style lyrics on Apple Music. You know, a lot of the distribution services don't offer that where you can put your lyrics, but it's just going to sit there on Apple Music. You guys actually have like the lyrics that appear karaoke style. I've actually done that for clients before where to make the lyrics karaoke style, you have to go into DistroKid and like hit space bar <laughs> for every line of lyrics so that it shows up at the right time. But I'm grateful for that feature and because to me, what it represents is your attention to detail and constantly wanting to create new tools for artists to uh you know help level that playing field with that or the splits feature so that you know if if multiple people want to share royalties yeah. you can do that through distro kid um or the mixer or, or any of those things uh how do those kind of innovations get developed at distro kid like is there a lot of conversation between you and the tech people about here's what i'm hearing from artists about what they want can we make that or here's what i here's something i know that a major label does can we do that too well, to your last point about splits, and I didn't think, thanks for being the hype man, Ryan. Uh, splits <laughs> is a great feature, and there's a new version within splits called recoupment. Uh, so meaning like if Gideon was my producer and I have a record coming out and I want the first 5,000 royalties to go to Gideon for all the production work, that can happen. And then the splits can happen to all my bandmates. You're so kidding. Not kidding. That's, I, that's look, okay. that's viewers and listeners, I promise you this isn't like an infomercial for DistroKid where that's I'm like, like, really? No, I, I legitimately did not know that. And that is a yeah. really useful feature. In my own experience, Mike, I've had clients where I'll run, you know, the song through DistroKid. They have a producer and that producer gets 5%, 10%, whatever it is. And I have to, and I have it like as a note in my file okay, when it's accumulated this much in royalties, then share the splits. But what you're saying is you built that right in where you can make it where the money has to recoup before the splits get shared. So it, it's all being done on the platform now. Absolutely. Yeah, so that I think is part of also the secret sauce and why like the interesting thing about DistroKid is you, we have artists that have won Grammys. We have artists that are just making bedroom music. Not that bedroom music can't get you know, to that level, but we have artists of every shape and size. It looked like Anna so, Indiana was recording in her bedroom. So. <laughs> <laughs> so with that said, you know, if you're at an artist where it's like, yeah, you have a producer or you have someone that's major music video or you have a manager or whatever it is, whatever the deal is, you have got uh, a featured artist and you want to make sure that part of the deal is that they get the first thousand, five thousand, ten thousand. You can make that happen and then the splits can happen. And you know, it avoids like a CPA, it avoids you doing the bookkeeping, and it just lets it all flow. It's all transparent on the back end for anyone that's got the district account. Yeah, see, Gideon, this is why I think your manager likes this platform so much. He does like it, yeah. And, you know, which is, you know, not 
on one hand, you'd think that's surprising, like, oh, wow, an established music manager, maybe they would want to refer their artists to like some kind of premium, you know, more exclusive distribution platform. And so maybe that's surprising that your manager would take that position, Gideon. But on the other hand, it doesn't surprise me at all, because, again, as as Mike noted, there are a lot of really established artists who use this platform just because it works and it's got cool features. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm curious about what your role is at DistroKid. I know that you, you know, you do creator services, which means you're interacting with creators. And when I'm sort of imagining what must be like the most satisfying job in the world, but also like the most incredibly stressful job in the world, it's got to be being the director of creator services at DistroKid. Because on the one hand, like, man, you're making all these dreams come true and you get to work with some really amazing creators. On the other hand, like you must just be getting lots of panicked emails from artists who are freaking out about one thing or another and you have to like help them through it. Like, is, am I getting your job right here? Yes, Ryan, you are. Um, <laughs> that said, the, the satisfaction levels is, is superior to any stress. Well, that's um, good. And one thing that's not officially part of my job, but I get to do like a lot of a and Ring because I'm listening to music all the time. So as someone that is a big music nerd, getting to discover artists from all throughout the globe that are putting out things from Latin pop to hip hop to country music, everything in between, and then engaging with those artists, helping them get from step A to step B to step C, like that that's the fulfillment that can take place of any artist who's got a panic because they may have set the release date wrong. They may have wanted to change a mix. They have a question about their account. And the good thing about DistroKid, as I alluded to with the tech, like we can solve those things and get it back to stores sometimes within minutes. So, you know, doesn't mean my laptop shuts down <laughs> uh, <laughs> before midnight sometimes on a release night, which is typically Friday is still for most artists. But yeah, at the satisfaction level outweighs that. But, you know, I think that's where we, you know, you guys are talking a lot about AI. I, I think in terms of the technology side and where music's gone, I had a record label that was pre-streaming. So I've kind of seen it from like pressing CDs and iTunes was the thing to seeing what we're at now. So an artist now will expect things to change instantly and, and quickly and have lots of questions. Uh, so the ability for us to change things or, you know, mention lyrics, updating lyrics, our lyrics weren't approved, getting that pushed through because the release date just happened. So making sure that like that satisfaction is super high. And that's not just me doing that. I might be doing it for, you know, some of our larger artists, but our, our team is throughout the country and they're making sure that artists can kind of be taken care of. Mike, so, let me ask you, yeah. I have a, I'm sorry, I didn't tell you. <clears throat> I have Please. a sort of question for you. Like every business that I've ever been a part of, whether it's doing, <clears throat> you know, 300,000 in sales or 9 billion in sales is always asking itself what it wants to be when it grows up. And and that's not to say district kids not grown up. I'm just kind of speaking, you know, figuratively. But like here you are demonstrably doing a good job uh, with the tech side of things, customer service, making artists life uh, uh, ordered and and um, sort of intact. But like when you guys strategize and obviously you're not going to tell us <laughs> what your grand plan is to take over the world here on the on the show right now. But when you guys strategize for the future. What's the next gen for distribution entities like yours? Is it to help the artists move the ball up the hill, not just from a logistical standpoint, but to achieve, you know, greater notoriety? Or is that too dangerous? Um, I mean, what is what is it that is the next thing for the distro kids and tune cores? Granted, two very different entities, but but what is it that 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 they all need and want going forward to be the next gen success in this business. Anyway, you get my drift of the question. Uh, absolutely. And I didn't fully answer. So Ryan was kind of talking about like what my role is. And it's right, not yeah. just working with artists. It's also working with DSPs. It's working with Snap and TikTok and, and Meta. So it's kind of all of that. Mm -hmm. So part of that is making sure when those partners are releasing something that we're ready to go. Um, a lot of times with those partnerships, because Kid is so large in terms of volume, it has artists of great stature and every genre, we're able to kind of dip our toes in a lot of product testing for these partners. So I think that is one thing that we may have more than anyone else is we're usually first at the table, if not, we're sitting at the table with everyone else. So I think mm -hmm. that's a one benefit. But for us, I think, you know, District has been around for tw since 2013. Yeah. And Phil founded it. He's a musician. He wanted to have a better way of distributing his music. And he built this platform. He's the one that's actually always iterating on it on the back end because he's a programmer by trade and by heart. So 
I think he kind of has the pulse on things in terms of what mu musicians want. But for me, I think we also, we really want to make sure artists have everything that's possible. And when like the recruitment's idea comes along from engineering, it's like the, the light bulb goes off and it's like, let's make that happen. And I think we want to make sure we want to make sure like we have that available. I mean, the, the lyrics, I, the amount that fans engage more with lyrics being presented to them, whether it's a lyric video or like, you know, on you mentioned like say Apple or Spotify and having the karaoke versions, like that can be a game changer for an artist. So making sure that artists have everything that any artist that's on a big label, on a medium sized label has, I think is what we want to ultimately provide for folks. That's well, it, Ryan, you know, that's such an interesting answer because three out of four executives will have this like take over the world grand idea. And that's usually, it's often what destroys them as opposed to the ones like Mike who just said, well, we want to expand, but we want to continue to get better and better at the customer service and stick to our knitting. It, it was, it, that was a really, for me, that was an unexpected answer, um, but it was a really interested, interesting answer. And just having been an investor for over three decades, that's embarrassing to admit, but having been an investor, basically being old, um, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's cool when people say, we want to get better at sticking to our knitting. It's a very interesting insight into the psyche of a business. And as you noted, it is an increasingly rare perspective totally. among corporate America, regardless of the industry, but particularly in the media industry, right? Like, uh, you know, the social media platforms are a great example, right? None of them are content to just be, I'm going to be the best totally. Twitter I can be. I'm going to be the right. best YouTube I can be. They all want to be everything to everyone. Right. And oftentimes the consequence of that is the final version of whatever they are is this platform that's nothing for no one. And everybody wishes it could be what it was 10 years ago. But to DistroKid's credit, I think Gideon's absolutely right. You guys are essentially what you've been your for the last 10 years, just better. You know, you've invested in your features, but you know, the core product still remains and you're and you're doing a great job with it. And I would just add to that. And thank you, Gideon and Ryan. I appreciate that. The feedback we you, get from artists. I'll send you, I'll send you my resume. <laughs> I want to start. I want to start at about one hundred thirty thousand a year, but it's fine. We'll talk later. <laughs> we will talk later. Um, Much later. The the feedback we get from our, we, we get from artists or labels or labels that use district as well, then goes to our product team, whether that's via Slack or an email a tweet, a DM, and that can spawn a lot of, you know, ideas for Philip in terms of what, what comes next. Well, you talked earlier, Mike, about your work in interacting with DSPs and you've now mentioned your CEO a couple times. So I got to ask what's, I'm going to admit on the front end, perhaps an uncomfortable question, but, uh, very curious about this. So recently Spotify announced that it's going to start issuing fines or at least consider start issuing fines to distribution services that it has deemed to uh, engaging in heavy stream manipulation and your CEO criticized the Spotify announcement and, you know, took a strong position on it. What are, what's your sense of some of the changes that Spotify is making to its royalty payout procedures? Is, is this something that DistroKid, is it on their radar? Is it something your company's worried about? Uh, I would say on our radar for sure. Um, and that's probably all I can say. No, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't when I'm talking to D, when talking to Spotify, it's about, Hey, check out Spotify rap just got announced. We did a really cool collab with Spotify for our artist, Connor price. We got a fan first through Spotify rap, making sure artists are using the rap feature where they get to thank their artists via video at the end of that. And making sure that you know the tools that Spotify is using are, you know, incorporated with our, our, uh, product as well but yeah in terms of that stuff that that's not in my wheelhouse now well let's move from uh one form of something a very uncomfortable question to something uh far more comfortable a vicious riot uh gideon mike was telling me a story in the questionnaire that um i we're gonna need him to talk about some more because this is pretty wild to me so uh Back in 1995, Gideon, Mike was, I guess, working with a radio station that was helping put together a free concert in Washington, D.C., I guess, I think at the Washington Monument, that ended in a riot. And when I tell you the band that was involved in said riot, you're not going to believe me. Like, okay, think about, like, the band that you would say, okay, this is a band that's music is going to cause people to, like, tear each other apart. And I will tell you that the band was the cranberries <laughs> was uh, it a political thing 
Yeah, can can you give us the backstory? Yeah. How did how did the, the sweet late Dolores O'Riordan start a riot yeah. in Washington D.C.? <laughs> Uh, well, how much time do we have left for the show, guys? Um, this is, yeah, back in 1995. So, you know, the Cranberries are established at this point. Uh, I started my music career at WHFS, you know, a historically large alt-rock station. And um, they did free shows all the time. And we did them in parks in D.C. And then every once in a while, we do them at Sylvan Theater, which is right at the, the base of the Washington Monument. So we had reserved the Sylvan Theater for the Cranberries. We also expected about two or 3,000 people to arrive. So the when you do this, you get a permit. Park police have an estimate of about 3,000 people. So the park rangers there were there to keep the peace, if you will, for the cranberries, uh, expecting about 3,000 people. It's a free show. It's around lunchtime. 10,000 people show up. So uh, there's that. Oh my. The, the band, uh, So also a fun fact, Chisel was the opening act. Um, hmm. Chisel band that's come back recently. I think they're dropping music for the first time in a while, Ted Leo yeah. being a member of Chisel. Um, but the Cranberries took a while to go on stage. Part of that was because they wanted stools right at the last minute. We didn't have stools at the Washington <laughs> Monument. My coworker ran back to Atlanta, Maryland, took apart computer desk stools, to chairs to make them <laughs> stools, gets them back, puts them on stage. They ultimately decide to stand for the whole brief <laughs> performance. This is the insider scoop here, guys. Um, but yeah, about, about, a song, about a song in... The little barrier, which wasn't roped off or anything, but basically where the grass met the asphalt before the stage, everyone decided to get close. So with the amount of park rangers that were there, not super safe, people start moshing to linger. Um, about another song in, uh, their uh, sound was cut off, band walks off, and they, they book it, essentially. Wait, 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 wait. I, I got to stop you right here. Okay, because as you're telling this story, all I'm thinking is, okay, I'm, I'm thinking back into the Cranberries discography. And I'm like, all right, what Cranberries song is so intense that it is going to bring people to a literal riot? And I'm thinking, okay, maybe Salvation, that one's kind of fast tempo. Um, and you're telling me it was freaking Linger? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you the Cranberries can cause a riot, but riot's not okay. I think it was described in the press as a riot. I think Rolling Stone actually covered it too. What had happened? The sound, <laughs> the sound was shut off. Ben exit stage left. We don't know if they're going to come back. So at this point, that's when it kind of by riot. I would say bottles are being thrown at myself and other people on stage. Um, there happened to be some FBI convention going on at the same time <laughs> in the Capitol. So that brought in a whole bunch of backup because it wasn't there, and they also would say the amount of people that had to kind of protect 3,000 people was not the right number. Um, and typically these shows in the past were all sit-down shows, like the Lemonheads. This was not like everyone standing and it's a giant stage for a band that was really hot at the time. Um, so yeah, it, it took some, some backup, some little backup <laughs> to get the crowd like 30, 40 minutes into it. But the riot was simply, I think, people being upset, throwing empty water bottles, no one was hurt. Uh, but the set was cut super short. The thing I didn't mention, Ryan, um, this is not the only time this has happened. <laughs> Wait, what was, the, what or, was the only or, time or, this or, happened? Like the cranberries? Was a riot. But you know, you know, like how you two played on a rooftop, the Beatles played on a rooftop, etc. Sometimes these things just happen. We did the same thing with one of your favorite bands, Gideon, Chumbawamba. <laughs> this is several years later. We did uh, a Chumbawamba on a roof near what is now where the Wizards play. I'm not sure what that arena is called these days. I moved from D.C. a long time ago. About three songs into the Chumbawamba set, you know, we had the okay from the police, but someone was not happy at Chumbawamba, who you know, are diehard anarchists. Uh, you know, they get knocked down. Sometimes they get up again, and this time oh. you know, they, they got knocked down. So that one, I don't know if there's, I mean, that was probably like 97. Uh, so yeah, that was another, not a riot, but that was like the popo said, no, no. Yeah, but I believe it fits the profile with Chumbawamba. There's plenty yeah, in their catalog that would bring them to riot or, or whatever you want to call the state of the crowd. But I still can't get over Linger. Like, I'm trying to make a list of songs less likely to bring a crowd to an angry frenzy than Linger by the Cranberries. I think my entire list 
is Moon River by Andy Williams. And that's the end of the list. It's Moon River and then Linker by the Cranberries. People would mosh to anything in the 90s. I mean... It was, it was people will mosh to anything in the 90s. That might be our episode title this week. Oh my gosh. Um you could uh, our guest is uh director of creator services for Distro Kid Mike Fink who is having uh a, a just a grand old time with us. We're really enjoying. Yeah. Yeah, just just, just <laughs> the cranberries uh causing a riot in DC. That's a uh, that's that's pretty crazy. Um, all right. Before we get to our final question, I, I do want to get as much advice for the artists from you as yeah. we can, because obviously you're an expert when it comes to working with artists and you've learned a lot along the way. We want to benefit from that expertise. So let's talk about the music launch process uh, when you're yes. when you're putting um you know a track out on DistroKid. The worst thing you can do, as I'm sure you'd agree, is just sort of putting it on DistroKid and then just hoping that it's going to become a hit and not doing any promotion either before or after the song is released on your platform. Can you talk a little bit about what some some tips for an effective music launch? Where do artists go wrong in this process and what can they do better? I think that's a great question too. Great segue, Ryan. Um, a lot of artists, I think they expect that and they're so happy that they got that done. They might post about it. They might put their hyper follow to get some pre-saves going and kind of be like, the hard part's over because the music is good. But, you know, you guys were talking about AI and social media before, long form video content. We, even with the short form video content, you really have to start to lean in once you have uploaded it. Start with those teasers, get those pre-saves going. If you're not into creating stuff on social media, perhaps have someone do it for you. But there's different ways that you can actually be creative. You can use your album artwork. You can have behind the scenes footage. Um, you can have your partner shoot stuff. I, there's different ways, but you can't just drop the ball because the music's been released. I think that's actually when the hike happens, you start to get down the field. Um, but also give yourself time to do that. Some artists in turn will have a track go viral on something like TikTok and then go, I've got to get my song out. And then they go, I want my song out as soon as possible. Mm. And then you might miss and then like release radar on Spotify. And it's like, but you're, you know, losing all of your core fans. So I think for myself, I try to encourage artists to at least make sure there's enough of a window, which is seven days to hit release radar. I personally suggest that you give it four weeks. So the editors and programmers and curators at these platforms can sift through it because they're getting hit up, not just by me, but every other service, every other major label, et cetera. And as a fan, I get burnt out if I'm like, I, I see a fan that, or an artist that drops music time and time again. I want to be able to, to appreciate it, realize that this artist cares about something and has a plan for it. And Gideon, you know, you mentioned also live and I guess we're talking about AI. So I was listening at the top of the show. Yeah. The live component to music right now, I think also is critical. And even if you're doing it the old fashioned way and playing in front of 15 people at the hotel cafe, you, you, you have to start somewhere. And I think yeah. so many artists right now don't realize and COVID obviously was a big impact on that that to gain fans, you really have to have some stuff and, and, and some chutzpah and be able to put a band together if you've never done that, be able to, to go live. And I think that is actually something that yeah. is missing. I know some of these platforms allow you to live stream. I think that's a good way just to even get your skills. But talking to some artists recently, and like, I'm like, we go through all the things, get your pre-saves going, do contests perhaps, do some exclusive merch. But if you've never played a show, <laughs> that might be something you might want to look if you want to be an artist. And I know it's hard to make money. I think Ryan, you've even talked about in previous episodes about you may have to play X amount of shows just to even break even when you're touring. But that is, I guess, the analog version of how you can do things after you uploaded it. But I, I think that's essential as well. I think that's an interview in itself that maybe we have to bring you back at some point to have, which is kind of the so your song went viral on TikTok. What do you do? Or, you know, so you, you've caught an amount of fame on you've gotten on a, a Spotify playlist. What do you do? Like we, we often talk about like how artists can get to that point where they get a little bit of success. But I think there's a whole other conversation that I'd love to have with you down the road, Mike, about what you need to do once you get that success, that little yeah. taste of success. And how do you build off it? What do you do next? Um, let's, let's, let's definitely pencil in the time to discuss that because we're about to lose radio. Um, again, you can find out more about Mike Fink's work by visiting distrokid.com. Before we let you go, Mike, one last question for you. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Wow. Uh, I 
mentioned about the four weeks. I think that's super important that you space things out. Um, this time of year, there's a lot of Christmas music and artists still want to push things. And I'm kind of encouraging them to wait till January. But the tip I would say, in all seriousness, is have, have a plan. And if your plan is, I'm going to drop eight singles this year, why not turn those eight singles into something long form? Or if it's four singles to, to an EP. If you're trying to get the attention of a DSP, letting them know this is my first single off of my spring EP or my spring album, infinitely way more seriousness taking place. Infinitely. And then the 1A to that, a lot of these services allow for you to pitch directly to them via their portals for artists. Claim those profiles and pitch directly because you're sometimes going to be one of a small percentage that's doing that. And that actually might get you into the front door that way. That's great, great insight. And uh, yeah, I've heard a lot of success stories in that regard. Mike, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Our thanks to Mike Fink and co-host Gideon King, producer Lauren, and all of you viewers and listeners. Y'all so wonderful. Thank you all for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week. Break.